A week ago Friday, I had the honor of being with 500 freshmen at Lyons Township High School. Now that may not sound like an honor to some of you, but it was to me. I was on a panel of four religious persons who represented Islam, Judaism, Hinduism, and Christianity. The 500 students were in the freshman world history class, and they were studying world religions. Their questions were thoughtful, respectful, and almost all of them were genuinely interested. Several of the students had questions about discrimination, whether we had faced any because of our religion. I mean, you hear about it in the news all the time, so it's natural they wondered if we had experienced discrimination because of our faith. The responses were heartbreaking. The rabbi spoke of the anti-Semitism that he and his synagogues that he had served had faced. And then, of course, we awakened yesterday to a terrorist act where 11 Americans were killed for worshiping God. That had been preceded by a week where 12 bombs were sent to Americans who disagreed with the bombers' politics. Friends, regardless of your political flavor, we live in a dangerous time for our nation. But I wish to lift up for you the Muslim woman's response, which was sobering as well. She faces, quite frankly, relentless acts of discrimination and mean-spiritedness daily. I had already answered and said that as a member of the culturally and numerically dominant religion, I had never, truly never, been discriminated against because of my faith. But this brilliant, compassionate, and 27-year-old young Muslim woman, born in Buffalo, New York, she was quite matter-of-fact about her life. She had to be more cautious than most of us do. She does wear the hajib, the scarf, as she called it, and she said, I do try to be smart and careful. And one of the students said, well, what do you mean? She said, well, you never know how someone is going to react to my scarf. And so I never stand too close to the train tracks. Think about that. I never stand too close to the train tracks. We live in a time that has much hate. A time where every newspaper, cable channel, and in public debate by our public leaders, we are told that the words love, kindness, modesty, and humility are used 50% less than they were in the past. And I suggest to you that as Christians, we must stand up for all people because everyone is created in the image of God. And as citizens of this nation, we must stand up for our democracy as well. Well, there is yet another question asked by almost every class period of freshmen, and maybe it relates in a way to the discrimination question. The second question is, why is there sadness? Why is there evil? Why do some suffer so much? In essence, why do good things happen, bad things happen to good people? I could have pointed to the gospel reading and Bartimaeus being given his sight and said, look at young people. Sometimes good things are graciously given to those who seek and ask for it, right? And clearly in this morning's gospel reading, yes, that's what happens. Bartimaeus, his sight is regained. Jesus says to him, your faith has made you well. But it's not always like that, is it? He was blind, yes. But as we oftentimes love to sing, now he sees. I want you to remember that Bartimaeus is the only person in the Gospels who is healed and whose name we know, Bartimaeus. So if I were to tell this story to those high schoolers who wonder about suffering, the easy answer would be this. 
suffering can be eliminated, solved, cured by faith, right? Have faith like Bartimaeus. Simply believe and all will be well. But life isn't usually like that. We all know people who are deeply faithful, pray regularly, lead and act with kindness. And sometimes the tumor still grows and their lives grow more painful. Sometimes faithful people die way too early. Just saying believe isn't enough. Which brings us to the other lectionary reading for this Sunday. I think it's both peculiar and yet helpful. It's from the book of Job. That's right, Job. I mean, imagine it in the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, a whole story dedicated to the question of why bad things can happen to good people. If you remember the story, Job had it all. Great family, plenty of land, helped to work it, thousands of animals. He was esteemed in his community. Life was grand. Until, get this, a conference between Satan and God, where Satan, which literally means the accuser or challenger, says to God, I know Job worships you, but if you take all those wonderful things away from him, he won't worship you, he will curse you. I'll bet you. Basically, Satan contends that the human condition is to be grateful to God, maybe grateful to one another, only, only when things are going well. You're rising in the job, you're getting the raises, the kids are doing well in school, and yes, at the end of the month you have a few dollars left and you can afford the granite for the new kitchen counters. Well, rising to the challenge, God accepts Satan's challenge. And Satan goes forth and Job's life is laid low. It's destroyed. Huh. We have to wonder, I think, if the author of Job is implying that we have a God who is pulling levers and, and say, sending cancer and despair on one person, but remission and new life on another. But that makes God out to be a master puppeteer, pulling the strings in each of our lives and watching some of us dance with joy and others of us crumple and weep. I don't think that was the intent of the author of the book of Job. Now, we don't really know who wrote it, but I'm just going to say, I don't think she has an answer. That is, she doesn't have an answer to explain suffering. I think the author of Job created and imagined the idea of a wager between Satan and God <coughs> simply because she cannot explain suffering. But as it said, she also cannot explain God's blessings either. Tragedies strike the good and the bad alike. There's no dependable equation of good deeds, always giving you something good in return. Jesus may be a bit more poetic, but in some regards he's just as elusive about suffering. When he says that the rain, rain is essential in a semi-arid world for survival, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. The sun rises on both the good and the evil. We know that. We know there is suffering. We know that goodness is not a vaccination against grief or against having to live in fear of standing near the train tracks because you love God. 
So what to say to the ninth grade history class students about suffering and about evil? How about this? I don't have a good answer. I don't know the right answer. But I do know there are some wrong ones. One of the less helpful things to say is that this pain or challenge is God's will. I have a friend who has never darkened the doors of a church after hearing that after losing a sibling. I mean, it can be incredibly painful if we believe that God is the cause of our suffering. And we do more harm than good if we begin to describe God as, well, some kind of a person who is indeed pulling levers, causing all kinds of misfortunes to befall us, to test us. I just don't get that kind of God. So I told the high schoolers the first thing not to say to someone who is suffering is that your hurt, sadness, or grief is God's will. But I'm also not saying that that means that no one is in charge. So could it be? Could it be that the inner strength for the outer challenges that we face will not be found simply in our capacity to endure as Job did? but that the strength to survive is found in our ability to care for others and to allow ourselves to be cared for even when we are in pain. Might not that be indicative of God at work? The strength that God gives to us to face the challenges and pain of life might very well grow from the compassion that is already in your heart, from your ability to love others, but also from the gift of allowing yourself to be loved. And Bartimaeus, the one healed, the one that we know by name, nowhere, nowhere does it suggest that he would never know grief again, or that his estranged child would come rushing back to him, or his wife's disability would be lifted. Being healed, even by Jesus, was not a get-out-of-grief-free card. No one ever claims in the Gospels that bad things never happened to Bartimaeus again. I mean, that wouldn't be faith. We can assume, I think quite safely, that he faced plenty of loss and disappointment and hurt. But he faced those knowing that he was loved by God and that he was loved by a community of faith. They knew his name, Bartimaeus. Her name was Reem, the young Muslim woman on the panel, her name was Reem. We should know her name as well. She too faces suffering and even evil with love. She happens to be a marathoner. And yes, she wears her scarf when she runs, trains, and races. But when she trains and races, this is what she does. She runs the first mile, thinking of people for whom she is grateful and she prays for them. And then she runs the second mile, thinking of those people who despise her, because of her religion, maybe even hate her. And she prays for them. And she alternates her runs the rest of the way. Bartimaeus and Dream are to remember, be remembered because they carry the hope of love and reconciliation into their daily lives. I mean, could it be, could it be that the inner strength we need for the outer challenges of suffering will not be found simply in our capacity to endure as Job did. 
but that the strength will be found in our capacity to love as Bartimaeus did and as Reem still does. To follow love even when we are in pain. The strength that God gives to us to face the challenges, pain, and evil of life, it will never grow from hate, but instead it will grow from the compassionate hearts of those around us and the heart that beats in you. And count yourself blessed, my friends, if you know even one of those hearts by name. Amen.